everybody, welcome to another edition of Two Strike Noise. I am one of your hosts, I'm Jeff Paulson. Sitting across from me once again, back in the same studio, is my co-host, Mark A. Johnson. How you doing, Mark? Wait, what's going on? Uh, we're uh, doing a podcast. Oh, we're recording. Hi, everybody. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> it's good thing you put your headset on and actually have a microphone. Yeah, uh, yeah, I know there was one right in front of me. Look at that. Just coincidentally. Uh, yeah. So uh, as we like to do here, Mark, I'm going to give you the choice on what we talk about on this week's show. Uh, one, we can talk about baseball history, something we've been doing for uh, quite a few episodes now. Yeah. Or uh, we could also uh, banter about whether, uh, because of his use of Nugenics, a testosterone booster, which is now available at GNC, could Frank Thomas still be a viable free agent acquisition for somebody down the stretch? Wow. You know, that, that's, that's pretty deep. And um, I have to admit, though, I have not studied for that particular subject. And my knowledge about such things is a bit limited. So let's just talk about baseball history. So you're sure, even though the Frank Thomas Nugenics commercials seem to be on every other inning on any baseball game I watch on MLB TV, you do not want to talk about that. Yeah, I'd, I'd rather not talk about it at all because I've seen plenty uh, of that particular commercial. And it's nice to see Frank, but, um, you know, it's a bit repetitive. Yeah, well, just... Just in case you did say you did want to talk about it, I did a quick bit of research and looked up the side effects of Nugenics, by the way. Oh, good. Yeah, that I want to know. Uh, increased chance of developing heart disease was number one. Oh, good. Not, not something not something you want to uh, joke around with. Uh, sleep apnea, prostate growth, Oh. Uh, increased chance of blood clots acne, breast swelling or tenderness. It also said uh, not for use with females and ankle oh. swelling. Wow. That's a pretty diverse group of horrible things that could happen. Yeah. I'm going to just steer clear of the new genics. Uh, yeah. Do they have any old genics? That <laughs> <laughs> was almost a dad joke. Sorry about that. Almost. <laughs> uh, all right. So let's, uh, let's start our BP segment before we get into the, uh, into the game here today. I got a couple of things that have been uh, kind of cool that have been going on the internet. Uh, this was posed uh, on a social media website, and the guy you're looking at, I'm, I'm doing the two things where I got the two thumbs pointed at me, where I say, uh, you know, who has two thumbs and got the answer to this trivia question, right? Yes, yes. Which MLB team has never had a single Hall of Famer put their jersey on even for a single pitch? Wow, uh, that's going to take some thought. How long is this show? <laughs> Actually, <laughs> let, this, this was my thought process. Okay, first of all, you know it's going to be one of four teams. Mm -hmm. uh, it's going to be either, you know, the Rays, the Marlins, the D-backs, or the Rockies. Right. Because those are the four, the four newest teams. Everybody else has hall of famers that have been on that team whether or not they're right in the hall with the you know with sure. that team's hat on now so, i can i can think of a few okay th that may have played for those teams well wade boggs played for tampa bay exactly so there's and, uh, there's the one hall. right there so tampa's off the list yeah colorado is todd hilton not in the hall he is not. He just retired. I think last year was the first year he was retired. So he's he's not eligible yet. Okay. Um, we've had the discussion about Larry Walker and how we both believe yes. he should be in the Hall of Fame. Absolutely. So I'm I, not I, sure. I, 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 well, you were right on there. It's the Colorado Rockies have not had a single person. Okay. 
that has ever donned the Rocky, the famed Rocky pinstripes to be in the Hall of Fame. No kidding. That's just, you think that might have happened by accident. Yeah, you would think, you would think just somebody, you know, there for a year or, you know, kind of playing out the string or a late season trade or or something might have ended up at Coors Field in a Rockies jersey, but nothing yet. Never, ever. That's crazy. Speaking of major league players, a couple of numbers I found today. In the history of the game, there have been 19,628 players have appeared in a major league game. This stretches all the way from May 4th, 1871 through August 10th, which was just a couple of days ago. 19,628. Wow. Tropicana Stadium is the smallest stadium in the major leagues. It seats 31,042 people. Wow. So if you took every single person that has ever suited up in the majors, they would only fill 63% of Tropicana Field. It's an elite group. It is. Now, Dodger Stadium is the largest stadium. It seats 56,000. So if you put everyone there, it would only fill up 35% of the stadium. I mean, it seems like there's just a million players, especially, you know, when rosters expand, you got people coming up and down all the time. You know, these days you've got, you know, uh, Japanese and Korean players coming over. But yeah, it's it really is an an elite group of of people that have put on a major league uniform. And I think people sometimes don't understand how truly difficult it is to play at that level. Yeah, you know what a number I'd like to I'd like to find out is how many people have played in the minor leagues and never made it to the big leagues. Yeah, it's got to be a huge huge amount. I, it's got to be higher than the 19,628. Yeah. yeah, you would think. Sure. I'm going to put that on the the list to to find out if I can. Stick a pin in it, put it on the board, pal. <laughs> All right. Uh, So I want to get your opinion on something else. So I posted something on social media uh, earlier in the week. I I posted it on Reddit and got a lot of responses. My question was about Players Weekend. So Players Weekend is coming up in, I believe, two weeks. I think it's the weekend of the 24th. And they, they released the jerseys uh, for, for that are going to be worn this, this year. And they're black and white. And I don't mean like just, I mean like the home team is pure white and the visiting team is is pure black, which will be fun for those teams playing day games in the sun. Sure. sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Dark, nice pitch black uniform in the sun. Yeah. Nothing Um, better. And so, of course, they've got the, uh, they've got the, the nicknames on the back. What do you think about Players Weekend? I don't know. I, I think it's kind of fun. You know, if you don't like it, just ignore it. You know, it's not that big. I think the players may have a little fun with it, and it also sells a few extra jerseys for Major League Baseball. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, it's a it's a money grab for MLB. Just like, you know, Memorial Day, 4th of July, Father's Day, Mother's Day. I get tired of it. Yeah. Uh, and I just don't like the uniforms. I didn't like them last year. I don't like them this year. The You know, the nicknames are fun, but every player on the team has to come up with a nickname and most of them don't have nicknames. So they're like forced to make one. And I, I don't care for that. But what I do like, I do like, you know, they get to wear custom shoes. They get to wear, you know, custom sleeves and stuff where they can kind of express themselves or, you know, put their country's flag on and stuff like that. I I like that a lot, but yeah, that's, that's cool too. Yeah, I agree. I, I am a much bigger fan of turn back the clock days than I am 
Players Weekend or any of those other ones I, I mentioned. But yeah, what about Turn Forward the Clock? I really enjoyed. That. I was not such a big fan of that, <laughs> but that was a thing. <laughs> yes, it was. Speaking of kind of turn back uniforms, the Cardinals were uh, here in town uh, to play the A's a week or two ago, and on a I think it was a Friday night, they showed up in, I, I call them turn back the clock uniforms. They were powder blue uniforms. And the A's, the A's were just wearing their usual. I think they were wearing their Kelly green because it was Friday night. But there was, it wasn't like the A's were turning back the clock. It's just the Cardinals, I, I guess they do that. And it was really awesome because they were really nice. That's cool. I did, I did get a look at it. Um, I didn't watch it or anything, but I saw some stills. Yeah. Uh, one more thing I want to talk about really quickly. I thought this was a very interesting story. Um, do you remember in 1989 and uh, 1890, the Senior Professional Baseball Association? I do not remember that, no. So this, was, this took place in Florida. It happened during the winter. And it was all retired players. I remember I was so baseball starved at that point. I watched every one of these games when they were on TV. The Senior League's goal was essentially to give fans a chance to see former stars take the field, either, you know, that they'd seen before or in my case, had probably not seen most of them. Uh, Louis Tiant was on one of these teams. Nice. And uh, he was originally signed with the Winter Haven Super Sox, but he was traded to the Miami Gold Coast Suns. But what made it a little little strange is that he was traded for 500 teddy bears and outfield Ralph Gar. <laughs> what? For real? For real. Absolutely for real. But they weren't just any teddy bears. They were 500 teddy ruckspins. Oh, that's a big deal back then. Yeah. So for, for anybody that doesn't remember, Teddy Ruxpin was a teddy bear and it, you like put a cassette tape in the back and you know, those creepy like animatronic things at Chuck E. Cheese or like the hall of presidents at Disneyland. Uh, it was essentially one of those, but just a little teddy bear. Um, so what happened was the, uh, the, the bears were being used as part of a giveaway to, you know, get fans get butts in the seats and uh, mm -hmm. the owner of the um, uh, super socks was in the novelty toy business. So that's how he was able to include those in the trade to, to make it happen. <laughs> that's outstanding. Yeah. I remember, I remember watching that. I, I just, these player, I mean, there were some old guys there, but names I knew and it was awful. And there were like four people in the stands, but it was televised. It was baseball. So I watched it. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Uh, let's uh, quickly move on to a segment we like to do here um, before we get into our, our, our main segments, uh, the debuts segment. So this podcast is debuting on August 11th. Okay. So I know this show actually drops on the 13th, not the 11th. We actually recorded on the 11th. It's been a long week. So just pretend we've bent the space-time continuum and it is actually the 11th and please enjoy these debuts so a couple of uh, big names made their major league debut on this day in 1986 barry larkin made his major league debut for the cincinnati reds 
Oh, wow. And don't... Yeah, the great Barry Larkin. The, the Hall of Absolutely. Famer Barry Larkin. Yeah, don't forget, we, we also talked about his brother Gene Larkin a couple of uh, a couple of weeks ago that apparently played with him. Uh, yeah, something like that. Uh, so Barry Larkin was uh, a rookie in 1986. Um, Hall of Famer, he went... When did he go into the Hall of Fame? It was just... It was just kind of recently. Uh, he was also MVP in 1995 of the National League. Uh, he was on that 1990 World Series team where they beat the A's. But I think yep. what's really cool about Barry Larkin, he played 19 years, played 19 years for the Cincinnati Reds. That's that's fantastic. You just don't see that anymore. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, so that's a big name. Uh, this was a big name for me, and I think you'll Nobody else might enjoy this, but I, I know you'll enjoy it. And in 1993, Greg Perkle made his major league debut. Oh, Perkle power, baby. You betcha. <laughs> so did Greg Perkle play for anybody other than the Mariners? Not that I'm aware of, but um, real quick, Greg Perkle, first baseman, a lot of power, um, kind of saw a, re- uh, a revival at the end of his career as a, as a relief pitcher. Did he really? <laughs> yeah, it, they brought him in because of, uh, because of a blowout, and he went out to the mound and he threw about fifteen pitches and struck out the side. And so they started going to him a little more often. Every once in a while, if it was not a real close game, they'd go get Perkle, and he struck out two thirds of the guys he faced. He was unbelievable. Wow! And so he uh, made an attempt at a, a relief pitcher comeback, but um, didn't quite make it back all the way. Greg Perkle, God, that's great. So baseball reference does not have any pitching stats for him. Yeah, he was uh he did that in triple. Oh, he did. Oh, oh. Yeah. Well, that that's so he did play he played uh, 4 years for the Mariners and then uh he was traded in the 1996 season to the Boston Red Sox where he made two appearances. But uh just he he was just a big for anybody that doesn't know cuz it's not from the Northwest probably. He was just a tip, prototypical big first baseman DH guy that you know, could put a charge into a ball, but you know, if he didn't hit a home run, he was probably striking out. Yeah, or striking other guys out in Perkles. Yes, uh, yeah. particular idiom. Yeah. So we started with a Hall of Famer and Barry Larkin, and we're going to finish our debut segment with somebody that very well is on the trajectory to join him in Cooperstown when he retires. This day in 2016, Aaron Judge made his major league debut heard of that guy you heard of this guy yeah 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 Yeah. (laughs) i would say he's well on his way to uh to getting to cooperstown yeah i think so Uh, so we we like to talk about debuts every now and then we'll talk about you know oh so somebody played their final game or uh, on this date or today i i really wanted to mention that we had actually three people pass away on this day and normally I wouldn't mention it, but these names are incredible. So three people that passed away uh, on this day, August 11th, in 1995, Mickey Mantle passed away. Ah, uh, yes. In 2007, Phil Rizzuto passed away. Holy cow. Exactly. And then in uh, 2012, Johnny Pesky passed away. Oh, jeez. So that's... Oh, he owed the Pesky pole. Yeah. And so that's kind of unique that you would have just... I mean, especially Mantle and, and Rizzuto were just huge names in oh, baseball, yeah. both as players and then Rizzuto, maybe even more so as an announcer. And oh, then, yeah. of course, Pesquia is a is a Red Sox legend. So, yeah, just wow, wanted... that, that's crazy. It all happened on what do you say, August eleventh? August eleventh, yeah, day for baseball. 
Yeah, it is. Uh, some big names debuted and some big names, unfortunately, left us. Yes. All right. So that's going to do it for our BP segment. We'll wrap it up, let the ground screw get to work. And today we are going to not even flip a coin. Uh, Mark, I am the home team today. So we're going to just let you go ahead and take the field. And uh, let's talk about uh, whatever you want to talk about this week. All right. I appreciate that. I, I was uh, just doing a little study and reading up on some uh, some history, and I came across uh, something that I, I wanted to know a little bit more about, and that is uh, a guy named Kurt Flood. Uh, Kurt Flood uh, basically started the whole idea of free agency, and um, here's here's kind of how he did it. All right. Uh, first of all, his name was Curtis Charles Flood. He was a really really good defensive center fielder. He played 15 seasons for uh, the Reds and the Cardinals and a little bit for the Washington Senators, uh, but mostly for the Cardinals. He was an all-star three seasons. He was a gold glove for seven consecutive seasons and is a lifetime 293 hitter and had two World Series rings. So good ball player. You know, you may not have heard of him outside of, of what we you know mentioned, what, what we call the reserve clause, which I'll explain here in a bit. Um, but actually I didn't know he was as good of a ball player as he was. Um, but it's not something that Kurt Flood did. It's something he didn't do in 1969 and it completely changed the game. And he did not accept the trade. He refused a trade from uh, the Cardinals. They sent him with, uh, Tim McCarver, uh, Byron Brown and Joe Herner to the Phillies for Dick Allen, Jerry Johnson, and Kuki Rojas. Any, Mostly, any teddy bears included in that deal? There were four. Four, but, uh, okay. Yeah, but they were uh, collector things. I'm not sure. I didn't do a lot of research on that aspect. <laughs> it's more you. Um, the, the, it was actually kind of seen as a swap of, of Kurt Flood for Dick Allen, and then the other guys kind of um, just filled in the, the extra spots. But Kurt Flood said, nope, not going to go. Not going to go play for Philly. You can't just like say I have to. So he went to his lawyer and his lawyer said, let's go talk to uh, the director of the Players Association, whose name was Marvin Miller. And so he told his lawyer and Mr. Miller that he was going to sue. And uh, he was not going to um, go through with the trade. So uh, no one had ever done this kind of challenge before in, in any sport. So this was all brand new. This was something that was kind of shocking to people. Up until then, people just you know, you traded, you go and you, you play for the new team you got traded to, uh, until then players or until free agency players really had only recourse of, you know, sitting out or retiring or anything like that, because what, what they had was what's called the reserve clause. The reserve clause in baseball simply says whatever team you ended up playing for last season is the team you belong to and will play for the next season. Okay. Unless they release you. So it was basically, you know, you're, you're bound to that team for life. As long as they don't release you or you don't retire, you were the big league team's property. And, you know, you were stuck. There was nothing else you could do. If you played for a team this year, you're going to play for that team the following season as well. Um, so it, here's the funny thing is that two players before Kurt Flood had actually challenged the reserve clause. And they ran into a, a major, huge problem, which is also what Kurt Flood ran into. And that is the fact that baseball is exempt from United States antitrust laws. Did you know that? I did know that. I, I, yeah, I did. I, 
Kurt Flood is a very interesting character, and I, I, he is the reason I know mainly about the antitrust uh, yeah. exemption. Um, the antitrust exemption was granted by an appeals court in 1922, and it actually made it to the Supreme Court, and it was unanimously affirmed. The, the Sherman Antitrust Act, it, they decided was a uh, baseball was a state-centric business, and therefore was not subject to federal commerce law. So basically, baseball gets to act like an entity like no other, doesn't have to worry about all the business laws that apply to everyone because they don't always apply to them themselves. It's pretty interesting because the antitrust clause or the uh, antitrust exemption has been used uh, for a lot of different things. People really can't sue Major League Baseball easily because they're not bound to the same rules as other businesses are. So it's kind of interesting. Um, Marvin Miller, the guy that I said uh, was MLBPA, uh, took up the case and he said, you know what, the union's going to fight for you. Kurt Flood said, you know, uh, okay, I'm ready to do this. Is it going to benefit other players? MLBPA said, yeah, it's going to benefit other players now and in the future. Flood said, you know what, that's good enough for me. And the odds are bad, but I'm still going to go ahead with the case. And uh, he was referred to often as a union leader's dream after that point. Um, so he took him to court. Case was called Flood versus Kuhn. Uh, Harvey Kuhn was the commissioner of baseball back then. Kurt Flood versus Harvey Kuhn. And uh, it went before the Supreme Court. It, it was kind of a sad thing. Only two other players were there to support uh, Kurt Flood and on his side. And those were both pretty amazing players, Jackie Robinson and Hank Greenberg. Both of whom are were kind of groundbreakers in their own, you know, obviously exactly. Jackie Robinson. But Hank Greenberg was the first kind of big Jewish yes. uh, superstar. And, exactly. And like I said, I, I know quite a bit about this and I'll, I'll, I'll chime in a little bit later. But one of the things I know that Kurt Flood was really disappointed with was that one of his best friends on, on the Cardinals, Bob Gibson, did mm -hmm. not join him and, you know, actually did not think that this was a good move and, and did not support him. And I know that that was something that, that Kurt Flood, that, that hit him really hard. Yeah, well, I'm, I, I read that too. It was not only Gibson, but not a single active player even showed up. And but I mean, do you know why? Of course, fear of retaliation. Well, because it, yeah, I mean, it, it, people still wanted to play, and 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 I think Kurt Flood, Kurt Flood knew, and and I think Marvin Miller made it pretty clear that your prob your career is probably going to be over. You know, mm -hmm. even if, if you win or lose this, no owner is going to want to. I mean, it's kind of similar to Colin Kaepernick. You know, he did something the owners really didn't like. And, you know, he's essentially been blackballed. And that was definitely going to happen to Kurt Foote. Yeah, basically, uh, he was a hot potato. No one wanted to sign him. And he, he sat out the 1970 season, even though he was, like I said, I went into, you know, how good of a ball player he was. You know, this is not a, a bench warmer or a backup player. This guy is a solid gold glove center field. Yeah, he was often compared to Willie Mays on defense. Yeah, he, he was. I never got to see him play, but from what I've read, uh, he was pretty impressive out in center field. So he uh, he sat out all of 1970, and then he played a few games in 71, but didn't wasn't getting a lot of playing time, and um, people – you know, the, the owners weren't real happy that he was playing at all. And so he retired after the, the 71 season. And um, so it, it's kind of interesting what happened after that, because uh, now we have free agency now. Right. And so obviously Kurt Flood must have won the case 
No, no, not true. What happened was the Supreme Court said, you know what? The reserve clause is still something they can do. It's not uh, it's a state centric uh, clause. And and so tough luck. Um, But what happened was, is that allowed uh, Major League Baseball and the MLBPA to hire a guy named Peter Seitz. And he was basically an arbitrator that came in to settle all the differences between the owners and the players. This guy was not, you know, he, he didn't belong to one side or the other. He was agreed upon that this is the guy that's going to make the decision. So that's arbitration came along. They were both going to make their cases and Peter Seitz was going to decide um, exactly how things landed after that. So what happened was Seitz listened to all the sides. He declared the Major League Baseball players became free agents upon playing one year on their team without a contract. And that was in specifically for two players, Andy Messersmith and Dave McNally. They had both played one year on their contract, and they both wanted to be free agents. So the site's decision was actually that uh, Major League Baseball players became free agents after playing a year without a contract. And so that's what had uh, Andy Messersmith and Dave McNally had both played without a contract. And this decision basically effectively nullified the reserve clause. The owners weren't super happy about that. They had a lot more discussions with Mr. Seitz. And uh, on February 3rd, 1976, it was upheld. Seitz's decision was upheld by Judge John Watkins Oliver. And then it was later upheld again by the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals. So after all appeals were exhausted, Major League Baseball and the Major League Baseball Players Association signed a new agreement in 1976. And this stated that after six years' experience, Players can now become free agents. Is that six years major league experience, right? Six years of major league experience. And that's that's where we are now. We have, I mean, there's all kinds of new rules that we've voted on. And there's arbitration and, you know, eligibility for arbitration. And there's, uh, you know, try and figure out the whole uh, waiver wire clause, uh, all that stuff. That's That's a fun one. We'll do a show on that so everybody can be as confused as I am about it. Yeah, if there's one thing people are clamoring for, it's a waiver wired show. I think I think our our listeners might enjoy that. Then again, they might not. What do I know? I don't have ex- exactly have my finger on the pulse of what our listeners like and don't like. I just hope they like me. I'm not too concerned about you anyway. Well, um, <laughs> just remember who that. edits the show. <laughs> That's a good point. As as most of my stories wrap up, Kurt Flood, after decades of smoking and a lot of drinking, it caught up to him. He ended up in 95, diagnosed with throat cancer. And just a couple years later, 1997, on January 20th, he died at the age of 59. So I don't know why I always do the stories on the guys that die young, but that's what happened. Kurt Flood decided he was going to risk his entire career on making things more fair and better for the players. And he successfully did so at the cost of his career. We have free agency now and we have arbitration. We have all these decisions because Kurt Flood had the guts to stand up and uh, stand up to the owners and say, hey, you know what? I don't want your stinking trade. Yeah. Now, so I've got some, because I I actually know a, a bit about Kurt Flood because he's just a, he's a very interesting guy. And yeah. one of the things that I, one of the main reasons I know and a bit about him is because of his civil rights stances. So Kurt Flood was a was a very intelligent guy. He was a very talented guy too. He was a very acclaimed artist. One of his oil paintings uh, actually was in the White House for quite some time under George W. Bush. 
Hmm. Uh, but he is from, uh, he, he grew up here uh, in, in Oakland. He was very aware of the racial divide in the country, you know, that was going on uh, growing up here. He didn't, you know, kind of in a, in a more diverse and uh, liberal part of the country in, you know, the Bay Area. He didn't suffer, you know, a whole bunch when he was growing up. But as soon as he ended up going to the minor leagues, he was on bus trips where he couldn't, you know, use the same bathroom as the rest of the team, couldn't stay in the same hotel. And this stuff really affected him. And that was another one of those things where he was socially active throughout his career. And he was very disappointed in people like Bob Gibson and Willie Mays and some of these other, you know, African-American superstars who didn't speak up like he did. Yeah, And one of the reasons why he was traded uh, from St. Louis to Philadelphia was because he got in a rift with the front office, uh, with the Cardinals. And it got pretty nasty between he and, and the front office. And so Philadelphia was not a good place to go play in those days. And it was yeah. not a good place to go play in those days, especially if you were African-American. And so it was it was definitely on purpose. And Kurt Flood definitely understood why he was being traded and specifically being traded to Philadelphia. He said, you know, absolutely. I'm going to I'm going to stand up. He was willing. He was willing to take that stand and know that it was going to end his career. Um, And as you, you said, Marvin Miller was just so pleased to have somebody that was willing to give up his career to do this because yeah. he knew what a toll it was going to take on the person's ability to, to, to earn a living. Absolutely. But Kurt Flood was willing to do that. He, you mentioned he had some rough times. He went overseas. He began drinking a lot. He drank a lot during his entire career. But when he came back and uh, played on the Senators for that one year, he was given a good bit of money, but he came back and he was completely out of shape. He hadn't played baseball in a year and a half, two years, and just was awful, and it did not work out, unfortunately. But then come the uh, strike of 1994, you know, in the major leagues, he actually went around and spoke to a lot of the players uh, while they were on strike kind of telling his story because a lot of those players had no idea who he was or what they owed to him and said hey listen you you this might hurt you now but you're you're doing this for for players that are still coming up and players in the future and he was a big big inspiration kurt flood is a very important person in not just the history of baseball but you know just kind of in in the civil rights movement as well so I'm glad we got to talk about Kurt Flood. He was, uh, he's somebody that everybody should know who he is. And especially if you're a ball player, you should know who he is. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. He sacrificed. I mean, you, you know, he was coming to the end of his career, but he still had several years where he was going to make good money and he sacrificed that for, for everybody else. He, he did. And uh, it, it's funny because a lot of times you'll hear, Kurt Flood's name as the answer to a trivia question, or you'll hear it mentioned, oh, by the way, and that's, you know, Kurt Flood and free agency and so on. So, you know, I had always heard it just kind of thrown in. And so to start studying it and really learning about it, very interesting what the guy went through and how focused he was on changing the rules. Yeah. So I've got, I've got a couple of interesting uh, things on Kurt Flood. First of all, you mentioned what he was a, he was a great, first of all, defensive, uh, 
center fielder. He also was pretty good with the bat. I found some career batting numbers against some Hall of Fame pitchers that are really impressive. Uh, versus Don Sutton, he was 13 for 33. That's wow. a 394 average. Versus Warren Spawn, he was 29 for 89, which is a 326 average. Get this, against Don Drysdale, 44 for 138, which is for 319 average. Against Sandy Koufax, he was hitting 296. Against Juan Marichal, 286. And against Fergie Jenkins, 286. Not bad. Yeah, so I mean, he was a Dodger <laughs> killer. When you look at those averages against Drysdale and Koufax, no, that's, kidding. Wow. that's impressive. Another fact here, this one, this one I'm just doing for myself. He was a alumni of Oakland Technical High School here in nice. Oakland, the alma mater of Marshawn Lynch and one Mr. Ricky Henderson. Ah, there you go. I, that's quite a that's quite a uh, resume. Just those three alone: Kurt Flood, Marshawn Lynch, and Ricky Henderson. Oh uh, wow! And then to tie this back into our BP segment. Kurt Flood was the commissioner of the Senior Professional Baseball Association. Boom. There you have it, folks. This is all done with a purpose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I thought that was uh, I went, when I saw the, the thing about the teddy bears and I knew you were talking about Kurt Flood. I knew I wanted to get that in there because that is a good. Uh, That's good stuff. Yeah. A good a good tie in. We almost sounded professional there for a second. <laughs> a fleeting moment. It It has <laughs> since passed. <laughs> all right so you know uh last week you were feeling a little under the weather so uh i i just had uh, had my one topic well this week i am gonna have to uh i'm gonna have to also bow out because i had unfortunately real life come up this week and what? uh yeah i had to i had to deal with football this week believe it or not the nfl has started already so um i've got some stuff uh, in in the chamber for next week, but I think I'm going to hold on to it because uh, it's kind of fun. I've I have totaled up the career statistics of all of the coaching staffs in the major league, and uh, you know just to see which which teams are which teams have the better coaching staffs player wise. But I don't think we have enough time for that. We don't want to we don't want to keep people here for two hours. So right, I'll be I'll be looking forward to that next week though. Yeah, that's that was it was kind of tedious to put all those numbers together, but once I have them in a spreadsheet, it's fun to play around with them. So I'll we'll bet. we'll take a look at that. So uh, since we are done with that, that is going to lead us into one of our most popular segments, uh, Wax Pack Heroes. Are you uh, are you ready to rip some packs this week? It's been so disappointing lately that uh, I just have a good feeling about this week. Yeah, we, those uh, those uh, upper deck packs that you had, while yeah. beautiful looking cards, gave us absolutely nothing. Yeah, it was uh, Edgar Martinez's second year, I think, was the one I liked the most. But uh, other than that, a lot of Tim Tuffles and uh, <laughs> stuff like that. So I've got two packs of 1988 tops in my hand. Uh, as I was going through my big bin here of cards, I've got a lot, and I've mentioned this before, I've got a lot of score, uh, co score brand cards, which I always liked, but we never opened them because they're not in Beckett's. And I, I finally figured out why. I, I found an article that Beckett's and the publishers of score had some argument and <laughs> didn't, really? didn't end up well. Uh, I also then found a couple of guides that did have score 
in them. So I've got a couple of 91 and I think 88 score. Uh, both of those sets only have two cards that are not considered commons. Oh, wow. For the for the 91 set, there's a Mike Messina and a Chipper Jones uh, rookie cards. Those are the only two that are not commons. And the 88, there's the Mark Grace and the Robbie Alomar rookies. Okay. I'm going to just open those in, in, in private for my own enjoyment because you know, they're not worth it's funny, isn't it, how, how score didn't really do anything baseball-wise, but I think it was 89 score football was through the roof. I think it is still highly collectible. Yeah, I, I know that there, because when I look up scorecards, it automatically defaults to football right. cards. So Those yeah. are, There was like Aikman and Barry Sanders, some rookie cards like that, and, and it was pretty short printed too. So it's kind of funny how they're complete opposites of one another. Yeah, because the, the baseball uh, sets are definitely not, <laughs> they are not lacking in... Uh, <laughs> large amounts? In large amounts of, <laughs> yeah. All right, so we are going to open up. Uh, I've got two packs of 1988 tops here. I can already feel the gum in them, so I'm going to be very careful because last mm. time I opened a pack with gum, the powder got all over my microphone, and I just now clean. So I'm going to open them very carefully. Uh, I've got one in my left hand, one in my right hand. I'm going to turn out the studio lights here, Mark, so you can't see, ah. and uh, you pick which hand do you want. Um, I'm going to go with your right. All right, all right. So let us open up a true wax pack, too. We've been opening cello packs, but... That's right. Uh, these are not the most attractive tops look. 88? Yeah, yeah. not my favorite. Is it got, like, the bubble letters? Uh, yeah, they're kind of bubble letters. They've got a, a, a border that is the team color. The team name is up top, and then they've got a kind of a, a vertical, the, the, the player's name in the bottom right-hand corner. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know. So, what you're so again, our new rules are: uh, if if it's a common, it's it's worth nothing. We're we're not even going to count it. We're only looking for anybody of value. Just for everybody's uh, edification here, uh, the eighty-eight tops a common card goes for a one cent. There are probably about twenty cards here that are worth anything. Uh, none of them over a dollar, though. So we're not we're not going to get rich off this one. All right, good start for you. If nothing other than it is a Mariner, Mike Kingery. Mike Kingery, hey, I knew that guy. Yeah, I, he played. Uh, he was in the Oakland organization in AAA. I got to work with him one year. Oh, that's good. He this is uh, not his rookie card. I guess he came up in '86 with the Royals. Um, yep. Yeah, and then he after the Mariners, he must have gone into the uh, into the A's organization. Left-hander with a little bit of pop, really quick, good defensive uh, player too. Uh, according to the back of the card on June 23rd, 1984, Mike belted two grand slams in the first game of a doubleheader at Jacksonville and, nice. and a three run homer in the nightcap for 11 ribbies during the two games. That's a pretty good night. Yeah, that's that's that'll get you noticed. Next is a manager card for the New York Mets, Davy Johnson. Oh, good. Those manager cards are valuable. Yes, they are. Of course, he he managed the 86 team, though, that beat the Red yep. Sox. Yep. Oh, here's a good uh, here's a good name uh, and somebody that you know, Jose Cruz. Hey, yes, uh, he was the only power the Houston Astros had in like eighty five, eighty six, and his by power I mean ten to fifteen home runs. They were uh, it, it was hard to hit it out of the Astrodome, and <laughs> they just did not stock themselves with power until Glenn Davis came along. So I am a huge fan of Jose Cruz, big fan. 
He has got a lot of a uh, lot of stats on the back of that card. He did. He played a long time. He he did all kinds of. Uh, I mean, he could hit for some power. He hit for a good average. He could steal bases. He was solid. All right. Next is an Oakland Athletics pitcher who I have never heard of. What? Tim Burtzis. Burtzis. I I actually knew Tim Burtzis from AAA. Yeah, I see. He spent a lot of time in Tacoma. <laughs> yeah. He he uh I think he mostly came in in relief and he was one of those guys that you could go to night after night after night. Now, I guarantee you I've heard of his his name before. I and I say this cuz looking on the back of the card, he was traded by the Yankees to the A's with Stan Javier, Jose Rio, Eric Plunk and Jay Howell in exchange for Ricky Henderson and Stephen Bradley December 8th, 1984. Wow, there you go, man. We tied it in again. Yeah, those are some good names. So Stan Javier, Jose Rio, Eric Plunk, Jay Howell, and Ricky Henderson. Yes, and don't forget, my very first collectible piece of memorabilia was Jose Rio's television. <laughs> That's right. He got called up and he <laughs> he needed to get rid of it, so he gave it to me. So for years, I I you know displayed and collected Jose Rio's television. And and you collected other ones too. You would follow him around and had the world's largest Jose Rijo television right. collection, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, well, of course. Uh, how many other podcast hosts can say they have Jose Rijo's television? Yeah, you know what? I might be the I might be the only one. That's a do, good point. Do you also have uh, Jack Voigt's uh, car? No, uh, you mean John Voigt's car? John no, Voigt I, is LeBaron. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with the with the Judah pencil in the in the glove compartment, that's a Seinfeld yeah. reference. In case you don't know, <laughs> John Voigt's LeBaron. Yeah, no, I don't have that. I tried to get it. Some guy named Costanza got it ahead of me. Uh, uh, next, we've got pitcher for the Orioles, Mike Boddicker. Sure, a serviceable kind of middle of the middle of the order, like maybe a number three guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, here's your first card that is probably not worth anything, but uh, Oral Hershiser. Oh, the great Oral Hershiser. Uh, yeah. One of the most dominant pitchers. Boy, when he was on, completely unhittable. Yeah, Gotta he, love Oral. Didn't he? He broke the record. I think it has since been broken for consecutive scoreless innings at one yes. point. Yeah, uh, 59 or something, 59 and a third. Something this, crazy. Yeah, so this was this was before he did that, so that's not on the back of the card. But that's a good card. That's like six shutouts in a row. That's ridiculous. Yeah, that that is incredible. Uh, next, another manager card, the White Rat, Whitey Herzog. Yeah, there you go, Whitey Herzog. <laughs> Remember, we talked about him last week because he was the Rangers manager, and he was the one that the Rangers owner told him, "Well, if Billy Martin was available, I'd fire my grandmother to get him," and then fired Whitey Herzog the next week and hired Billy Martin. Oh, poor Whitey. Poor Whitey. Uh, next, Willie Hernandez. There is a, a pitcher for the uh, for the Tigers. Willie Hernandez. I've drawn a blank on that. Oh, uh, he was he pitched forever. So in 1987, it looks like he had already pitched for 11 years in the big leagues. He was starter, or no, no, check that. He was a reliever. Uh, led the league in appearances in '84 with 80 appearances. Wow. So half the games. Workhorse. All right, here you go. A Topps All-Star Rookie. This is where the money's made, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, yeah. Pittsburgh Pirates. Right-hander, Mike Dunn. (laughs) (laughs) See, you know how much money is in that, folks? One cent. Exactly. Yeah. 
Well, of course, you have to find somebody that's willing to pay you that one cent for that. That's right. It's worth whatever someone will pay you for. Exactly. So there you go. Next, we've got somebody I have never heard of, Pat Perry. Pat Perry. No, I'm drawing a blank on that one, too. He is a pitcher, apparently, for the Cincinnati Reds at one point. Okay. He was a reliever. Not much going on there. He was involved <laughs> in it. He was involved in a trade for Scott Terry. Pat Perry for Scott Terry, straight up. Well, there you have it. All right. Next, we've got somebody, and no doubtly with some Irish heritage uh, in their in their lineage, Rangers, Tom O'Malley. All right, O'Malley. <laughs> Tom O'Malley. Gosh, what? Okay, let me let me think. Was he a catcher? Uh, he was not. Okay. That shows you what I know. He was a third baseman. At least that's what the card says. And uh, he paid for, played for, came up with the Giants, White Sox, Orioles, and Rangers. Not, not much going on there. Yeah. Uh, next we've got, here's another athletic. This one most people will know, Tony Phillips. Oh, man, Tony Phillips. Uh, yeah, good boy. That's, there's a guy that was a hard nose. I'm in every super, play. Yes. I'm getting involved player. He was a super utility guy too. I mean, he I was. in that on that '88 team that lost to the uh, that lost to the Dodgers, he was the starting second baseman, but he could play right. just about anywhere. Yep, he was solid, and 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 wherever you put him, he was good defensively too, no matter where. Yeah, so that's a good card, not worth anything, but no, that's cool. Uh, next, we have got Brian Fisher, a pitcher for the Pirates. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure on that yeah. one either. Uh, this is his rookie card. He's not, or no, no. He got a couple of years with the Yankees and then went down and uh, suitedly did nothing. <laughs> Davy Lopes, Houston Astros. Nice. Yes, Davy Lopes mostly uh, played for the Dodgers. Yeah. But yeah, he did play a little bit for the Strohs. Played for the A's and the Cubs as well. Uh, he also managed a while. Uh, I remember he managed the uh, Milwaukee Brewers. And I remember he got really mad. Now, first of all, Davey Lopes uh, could steal a base. So I don't know when he retired, but through 1987, he had 557 stolen bases. Wow. So he he could run. And I remember as a manager for the Brewers, he got mad at Ricky Henderson for stealing second base during a game. Uh, I believe it was like the whatever team, I don't even remember who the Ricky was on. Uh, they were up by like five and he stole second and Lopes got so mad at him and was yelling at him and had to be restrained. And, you know, five runs is, I I guess if you're old school playing by the unwritten rules, you don't run. But now, nowadays it's gotta be eight or nine. But I I just remember he was really mad at Ricky. Next week, your, your final card here is, uh, unfortunately Tim Cruz, who, uh, unfortunately oh, yeah. passed away a couple of years after this card in a boating accident. Yes, but, he did. Uh, he, he was traded uh, by the Brewers to the Dodgers with pitcher Tim Leary for infielder Greg Brock. Oh, yeah. Greg Brock was one of my favorite Dodgers growing up. I remember I don't Greg know Brock why, but I, I liked Greg Brock, yeah. Well, that's your pack. Well, so far, <laughs> uh, so good. And uh, I believe I'm at zero cents. You are, uh, I did pitch a shutout there. Remember, yeah. remember when we started this segment and we used to get good cards? Well, I, I sort of remember, but it's been a while. <laughs> All right, so there's pack number one. So I'm going to open up my pack here and uh, see if we can get at least one card of any kind of value. Now, my gum is broken, so that's going to put powder all over everything. 
<laughs> Great. So I'm starting off strong. My my first card. Uh, it, you know, in 1988, if I had not heard of you, that's saying something. Uh, Pat Keedy. Pat Keedy. Pat Keedy. I think you made that up, man. No, I did. Well, if no. I did, Tops is pulling a prank on us. Oh, okay. Uh, played for the White Sox. The Angels he came up with, had a cup of coffee, then spent a couple of years, spent a year in Hawaii. Uh, nice. Next, we've got Tom Foley for the uh, Montreal Expos. I believe he was a super, one of those super utility guys. Yeah, good player all around. Red <laughs> Sox, uh, another middle infielder, Marty Barrett. Marty Grin and Barrett. I, he was on the 86 Red Sox team, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. I think so. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm looking at his numbers. He started... Well, he played in 158 games in 1986. Wow. wow. So, yeah, he was he was in there every day. Uh, but that is uh, shockingly worth nothing. Uh, yeah. Oh, here's my big money card. National League. So this is an all-star card. Shane Raleigh. <laughs> oh, my. Wow. I haven't thought of Shane Raleigh in a while. Yeah, I would have never guessed he was an all-star, but that... Uh, uh, he was actually number two in wins in the National League in 1987, one behind Rick Sutcliffe, and huh. one ahead of Oral Hershiser and Mike Scott. Oh, wow. God, who would have ever guessed Shane Raleigh had 17 wins? Yeah, I would not have come up with that. <laughs> That's funny. All right. Indian starter Greg Swindell. Oh, they, now see, there you go. That's that's one of the a fantastic starting pitcher, a number one on occasion. And um, you know what? The, the guy could pitch. Yeah. Uh, this is uh, only his second year in the big leagues, this card. Uh, made his major league debut in 86. And yeah, he was a solid top of the order guy. Yeah. Now, this is, this is kind of incredible, what I have just pulled. Okay. Uh, it is worth absolutely uh, one cent. But it is Ricky Henderson. <laughs> there you have it, folks. <laughs> he's finally done it. And this is one of his... I like this card. He's, he's in a Yankee uniform, obviously. This is 1988. He got traded back to the A's uh, at the, uh, near the deadline in 89. But this is a good-looking card. Uh, Ricky wore a uniform really well, especially before everybody started wearing the long pants. you know. And he always mm -hmm. wore real stirrups. And sanitaries, and he's got his Mizuno uh, shoes on. It's a good-looking card. I value he, this at seven dollars. He, <laughs> he he always looked sharp out there, man. Like because that's where he belonged, you know. He looks good in the uniform. All right, uh, next. This is funny because the next card is Dan Pasqua, uh, also with the Yankees, and his card. He is almost in the exact same stance as Ricky Henderson. So when I pulled Ricky and then I started to look at the card after it, I thought, did I somehow get two in a row? Because the, the cards look very similar. But right. uh, Dan Pasqua, outfielder for the Yankees. Uh, next for the Dodgers, in a similar uh, pose to Ricky and Dan Pasqua is Franklin Stubbs. Oh, sure. Um, I, I haven't listed as a first baseman. I thought he was more of a... I guess I, thought, I, guess I think of him as a middle infielder, but... Again, not not worth much there. Uh, next is Jay Bell, shortstop for the Indians. Is who he's with here. He went on. I, I know him. Think of him as a pirate, don't you? Yeah. Uh, uh, I. Uh, was he a shortstop or third baseman? Uh, he's listed as shortstop here. 
Okay. Well, I could see that. But yeah, I think he was on those pirate teams with with Bonds and Benia, where they and Sid Bream. Yeah, they would they would That's always right. be battling the, uh, the the Braves because the Braves yeah. were in. Remember, the Braves were in the National League East at, or the National League West at that point. That's right. Yeah. And so it, oftentimes it would be the Braves and the Pirates in the in LCS. Oh, here we go. Oakland Athletics, Tony Bernazard. Tony Bernazard. I, I am not familiar oh, with man. Tony. Tony Bernazard. Look, let me tell you the only reason I am familiar with Tony Bernazard is a friend of mine, Brian Dorsett, uh, who was a catcher for, um, I think he was in the A's organization, but then he was also, he ended up with the Yankees, catching for the Yankees at some point. And uh, I remember him getting traded for Tony Bernazard. That's the only reason I even know the name. <laughs> I was like, he called me up and he's like, I just got dealt. Who for? Tony Bernazard. Okay. <laughs> Good old Tony Bernazard. Well, that card yes. is suitably worth nothing. You need a Brian Dorsett card to go with it. Uh, well, this one's just as good. Kent Herbeck. H.R. Beck. Yeah. Yeah. See, you, you got to, you, you know, you're born to hit a baseball and to hit cleanup when your first two letters of your last name are H.R. Now, Herbie, because I remember that was his nickname, Herbie. Uh-huh. Remember, he wrestled in the offseason. He was a professional wrestler. And rem- he is probably best known. I think it was. Probably the 87, was it the 80? No, it was the 92 World Series, or 91-92 World Series. It was the Twins versus mm-hmm. the Braves, and he wrestled Lonnie Smith, wasn't it? Kind of off the it bag. It was Ron Gant. It was Ron Gant, and kind of wrestled him off the bag yeah. and tagged him, him out, bag. and they called him out. Yeah. Yes. He swore he did not pull him off the bag. Yeah. Um, Gant was like, of course he pulled me off the bag. Watch the video. But yeah, well, I mean, no replay, nothing. And uh, that was it. Certainly no challenge. I, I know about a week ago, I posted on social media, it was the anniversary of a Twins minor league team actually made a bobblehead doll of of him pulling off Ron oh, Gant. Classic. Oh, my. Uh, not worth anything, though. Uh, next, mm-hmm. Eddie Milner for the San Francisco Giants. Uh, very slight outfielder. I remember him. Didn't really do much. Yeah. Uh, Jose Akendo for the uh, St. Louis Cardinals. He I was, remember uh, Yeah, he was another one of those super utility guys. Yep. yep. Did, didn't know Kendo. I think he was coaching for the Cardinals. I thought he was a, like the third base coach for a while. Just a couple of years ago. I don't believe he is. Well, I know he's not now because I just listed all of the, the coaches. But I think he was a third base coach for the Cardinals a while back. Huh. I'm down to my last two here. Uh, Indians pitcher Rich Yet. Y-E-T-T. No clue. Uh, his, the back of his card is full of minor league stops. And uh, a couple of years uh, up with the Indians, but nothing to nothing. Nothing. To nothing noteworthy. Uh, and then my final card is Billy Ripken. He is not holding a baseball bat. There is nothing written on it. He is just mugging for the camera. And uh, <laughs> this is his rookie card, however. But uh, Billy Ripken rookie. Yeah. Now, you would think that that would be worth quite a bit, but you would be absolutely incorrect. Oh, man. I was thinking at least four or five hundred bucks. <laughs> so uh, technically, a shutout. Now, as commissioner of this league, <laughs> that Ricky Anderson card, uh, I, 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 I'm not going to big league you. I will, I will, I will go with Beckett's 
and say that we have both been shut out again. And I think we need to make sure before we do another podcast that we get some some better cards. <laughs> yeah, I think we need to go do some shopping. I agree. Uh, let's take a look, though, at the standings with this uh, with this tie because we are playing uh, NPB rules here. Uh, yes. You now uh, have one win total. That was the very first time we we did That's this. Right. I have three wins and we have three ties. Okay. So we well, are in danger of both falling out of first place. Yeah. All right. Well. Yeah. Well, what can you do? I mean, uh, it's been a it's been a little rough. All right. Uh, I'd like to remind everybody that you can follow us on the show the social medias. We are at Two Strike Noise. That is at T W O Strike Noise. We are on the Twitter and the Gram. Both of them. We post quite a bit there, and uh, we've actually been getting some some messages uh, from from several of our posts. We love to hear from you. A lot of people, fans of the Wax Packs heroes, and uh, also some some comments about some of the topics that we've had, uh, which is great. We love to hear from you. And uh, if you've got a suggestion on something you would like to hear us talk about, why don't you send it our way as well? Uh, Mark, I am going to probably be still doing some more football stuff next week, but I have already carved out time to do this again. Uh, are you up for another show next week? You know, I'm super mega busy. Um, I've got to wash my hair at some point Ooh. and I got a lot of hair. So, um, yeah, no, I'll do another one next week. What the heck? All right. Well, then uh, we will make it so. And uh, we like to thank you for joining us. And we will see you again on the next episode of Two Strike Noise. Thank you all. God bless you. Have a great day.